Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action helping others and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Welcome back. We have a very special guest for all of you guys, um, and this is a different kind of guest for our podcast. This is somebody who um, I got to know quite well in sort of an informal happenstance type way, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy him. For a long time, I've been um, hoping to get some, uh, essentially some you know, physical fitness, um, you know, hormonal type conversation started, and I, Julie and I did a poll about six months ago and asked you guys if you'd be interested in learning more about men specifically, about testosterone and the rest of it, and I was overwhelmed with the responses, and we started to try to research it, but frankly, it was so, um, I didn't feel like Julie and I had the um, experience nor the authority to really present it, and I was so blessed that uh, we ran across Mr. Brett Bartholomew, and he's our, he's our, uh, our co-host today. I'm going to read a little bit of his bio. Brett is a performance coach, best-selling author, and keynote speaker. He's also the founder of the coach development company, Art of Coaching, as well as a performance training uh, company, the, uh, the Bridge Human Performance. His experience includes working with athletes, both the, in the team environment and private sector, along with members of the U.S. Special Forces and members of the Fortune 500 companies. Taken together, Brett has coached a diverse range of athletes from across 23 uh, sports worldwide at a level ranging from young athletes, uh, Olympians, as well as as well as athletes who compete in the NFL, NBA, NL, uh, NLB, uh, UFC, MLS, and NCAA. Hey, I'm just surprised I knew what all those meant. <laughs> so, Brett, without any further delay, thanks for uh, joining me today, and I really appreciate your time. No, it's my pleasure, Tim. Thanks for having me on, and uh, you know, grateful for the time and excited to uh, speak about some of these subjects and hopefully remove some of the stigma and pseudoscience uh, from it and give folks practical takeaways. There you go. It's funny how you and I met. He and I were actually sitting um, at the same table um, at the Ritz-Carlton Resort in Puerto Rico, and I just sort of was attracted to him because he obviously had his shit together by looking at him. And then he sat, he, I sat there and talked to him. I don't even know for how long, and I didn't stop listening because it's so rare that you come across somebody who's able to talk on so many different uh, you know, topics with such fluidity and then has the resume that this guy does. So I am truly honored that you're on our podcast. So let's just jump in and talk about um, – you know, this is actually, it's interesting. I had a previous conversation with another guy that I'd met, and he actually uh, played for the uh, Kansas City Chiefs, and he also lives here. And this guy, I don't know if I told you about this guy, Brett, he and I had this very interesting conversation. This guy is uh, 6'5", um, and he just was just this huge, you know, as you can imagine. And he and I were talking about the difference between the guys who are successful in the NFL and the guys who aren't, and then the guys that he knew who basically were uh, in the special forces and, you know, basically the similarities amongst the guys who were successful in the NFL and those who weren't and those guys who were successful in special forces guys. And he told me something that was very interesting. He said that when on, on the front – he was a linebacker, you know, big, huge dude. He said when he was sure. in the NFL that you could sense – not just through your opponent, but also through your teammates, whether that they had, he called it, you know, the killer instinct, right? I'm sure it's referred to as many different things. But there is an intangible something that's there that separates the people that sort of go through the motions and the guys that don't. And I know this is kind of pulling you into a conversation you weren't part of, but I have a feeling you're going to be able to completely lock into what I'm saying. Um, so when you run into somebody who maybe goes through the paces and goes in maybe a professional athlete you're working with, or maybe even a special forces guy, but for some reason they're not fully, they're not able to engage at the highest level. And I run into this and what Julie and I do, you know, you have people with great potential, they go through the paces, but they never actually, again, they never actually go to the highest level what they could otherwise have been capable of. What would be the maybe two or three ways that you would help somebody in, in your arena move past whatever's holding them back? Yeah, Tim, it's a great question. And a lot of it is, you know, it transcends professions. But since you're specifically talking about that, you know, we always look at these one percenters who are able to do the simple thing savagely well. Now, in every industry, those simple things are going to be a little bit different, but you alluded to it in terms of three points that they've really got to be able to master 
is higher level commitment, engagement, and consistency. And all of those things are tougher than it sounds. And, you know, most people think there's some secret sauce, right? We live in this era where, you know, it's, it's like doing the simple things is a scarce resource because everybody's been taught, oh, here's a hack. Here's a way to do this. Here's a way to do that. And I find with folks, especially elite athletes, they're used to getting a lot of fluff. Their agents tell them what they want to hear. Coaches will tell them certain things. The media is telling them everything. So I find that really more often than not, being very direct, sometimes even blunt with these guys, is what they respect most. Because, Tim, frankly, a lot of them have similar fears. So the NFL does not stand for National Football League. What it really stands for is not for long. Because the average <laughs> career in the NFL is only three seasons. So we make it, I make it very clear that if they don't commit to certain processes that are going to allow them to stay in the league longer, then they're going to go by the wayside the same way that many other people do. Because you just don't see many people that have lasted as long as a Tom Brady, a Ben Roethlisberger. Again, statistics show that the average career is three years. So you do have to be blunt. You've got to address some of their fears. And I know that sounds dark. Um, but good coaches and good leaders in general don't try to shield people from the realities of things. They try to prepare them for that path. So believe it or not, that's the number one way you got to get their attention more often than not. And they appreciate it. The ones that last, they don't run from it. You're so right, man. They're, they're in our industry too, especially in our industry, nobody wants to tell, well, one of our, you know, you can borrow this as much as you want to, if you like it, but we always tell agents to do what they don't business owners in general, do what they don't want to do when they don't want to do it at the highest level, do what they don't want to do yep. when they don't want to do it at the highest level. And that's the exact opposite of what popular culture is telling people nowadays. It's follow your passion. It's, you know, just all this gross lie stuff, just because that's what people want to hear. They don't want to be told that to be successful at anything it sucks it takes a lot of work it's going to require yeah. unbelievable high levels of discipline they don't want to hear that and in, in yeah man right there when you t when you're willing to tell people the truth what they don't want to hear when they don't want to hear it to get them to perform at the highest level that really is that really is a breakthrough so i'm, I'm sort of curious so you're working with somebody and all those you know he's been fluffed up and he's been led to believe he walks on water and everybody's kissing his butt and he's in his 20s and he probably doesn't have any way of really you know, knowing that he's being manipulated through his ego, the whole thing. How do you go about um, getting that guy to take, like, what would be the fears he would have, for example? And then do you work on his mindset more or get him in physical action to change basically how he thinks? Yeah, well, and you alluded to it again already. Men, men and women, you know, just collectively, they differ in their virtues, but most people are alike in their vices, right? And you're talking about people that are in their 20s and now they're millionaires. And not only are they millionaires contractually from everything they're doing in pro sports, but, you know, many of them have endorsements where they may not even have to touch the money they've made from their contract ever, right? They, they can get multi-million dollar contracts from uh, beverage companies, equipment companies, you know, Nike, Under Armour, anything like that. And, you know, so th these things kind of offer them some comfort. The issue is, Tim, is a lack of comfort is exactly what got many of them there. Uh, the That's people awesome. that don't last are the ones that tend to just, uh, you know, lean on their natural talent, right? And you can probably see that in real estate and other businesses as well. There's very skilled orators. So there's people that may be natural salespeople, but they don't have strong ethics, uh, whether that's work ethic or just personal ethics in general. And those people, no matter what success they may be able to weasel by early on, are always going to get found out. So what I'll try to do to kind of humble these guys, again, in an ethical way and make them face those demons is I kind of set them up for failure. I set them up early on to be humbled. Now, Tim, that might be putting them into a drill that's unfamiliar. That might be doing something for their physical conditioning that's unfamiliar because, believe it or not, many of these guys, even though they're specimens athletically, they tend to be still weak in many different areas, right? That could be small stabilizing muscles. That could be something we do for conditioning. And I think when you put people through this kind of metaphorical gauntlet that challenges them either physically or mentally in some kind of unique way, that's how you're going to facilitate change. Uh, because, you know, and, and the two tie in, as you know, right, the physical and the mental, uh, all the hormonal changes that happen when we move, when we exercise, when even when we're afraid, right, it's that time of year, it's Halloween, like all these things light up different parts of our brain that then facilitate different kinds of behavior. So you have to marry, Tim, the physical and situational challenges 
and make them kind of face those demons, so to speak, as opposed to running from them or just thinking whatever, like you said, this mass market, think positive nonsense that people are spoon fed that leave them unhappy and unprepared. Well, it's because they never take action with it. And that's what, you know, that's what just, it's so gross. It's so, it's so sad that you see all these people that have wasted decades of their lives working on their mindsets, trying to get their heads right, trying to find out their big, their big, you know, big why and all these other silly things. And the reality of it is, is they're going to change their mindset or how they think, how they see life as the beautiful gift that it is once they're physically in action. But they just never get into physical action because they're just looking for, you know, more excuses not to do the heavy lifting. So when you come across that, you know, the unicorn player that seemingly checks all the boxes, but he's missing something as far as – again, this could be a special forces guy too. Because I know – this is interesting. Um, you know this, of course. But you can enter into the special forces, I think, in the SEALs and whatnot right out of high school. So there's no way that mentally these guys are prepared to be the elite athletes that essentially that they're being trained to be. So when you run into people like that that are not emotionally and mentally prepared for the expectations that they have uh, you know, essentially thrust upon themselves or thrusted upon them, how do you move them past this? Well, like, what would be the fears that, that you help them work past? Because I bet you your yeah, fears well, that you deal with are the exact same ones we do. <laughs> Yeah, without a doubt. There, and, and you know this, right? There's transcendence between all, all these fields. Sport is a microcosm of life. Sport and business. I mean, a lot of these CEOs and people that own sports teams, they deal, I mean, general managers, they deal with the same things that large organizations do. But regarding special forces, so you're, you're right to a point in that, you know, these guys are thrust into things before they're necessarily ready. Now, they do have to go through selection. So they can't really just join the SEALs. They do have to go through a selection process. Oh, yeah, sure. And many people, yeah, many people never become SEALs. But to your point of how do you really help them, and this is something you do really well. It was evident the night we met, Tim, is questions are the DNA of skilled communication, right? And communication is about the listener. It's not about the one doing the talking. So what I find, and whether you're running a business, whether you're trying to sell somebody on something or you're trying to lead anybody is to get out of them like what is going to move the needle the most you have got to be able to ask strong questions not you know closed-ended you know yes no bull crap you have to understand what their pain points are what their fears what their drive and you can only do that through listening through probing and then being able to reflect and reframe what they're saying so that you can really paint a common mission a common picture i mean a lot of these guys tim despite being uh, in the positions they are, don't really like physical training, right? You'll even get special forces that they'll kind of grunt and grind their way through it. But what they really like is the tactical aspect of warfare, you know, and they don't want to have to do some of the things that we do. They're just, they know it's part of the mission. So I'll try to ask them, you know, what is it about when you're downrange, when you're in these positions that you enjoy most, what brings you to life? And then I try to recreate that feeling through these different scenarios and training. You know, they may only have 30 seconds to complete a task in the weight room, or they may have to achieve a certain number of feet climbed when we're doing conditioning. And when you can give them these quantitative things, especially military and special forces, they really drive to that. Not always the case with athletes. And you'll get some athletes that for them, the trigger has got to be money or it's got to be, they don't want to get injured because you know, this is their livelihood. They, they, some of them don't have things to fall back on. But you don't find these things out, Tim, until you ask great questions. So I encourage everybody, if there's one thing you can do, write down one, like what's the best question you've ever been asked in your life? And then why was that a great question, right? Was it because they allowed you to go in many directions? They didn't confine you? Was it because it made you reflect five, ten years back? Um, and then keep another notebook. I have a notebook right now in front of me, Tim, that I write down a list of great questions, and I just keep it and refer back to it again and again because it helps you be a better conversationalist and thus a better leader. Asking questions disengages your own ego. It doesn't make it about yourself unless you're actually asking yep. shitty questions where you're just trying to lead the person to water. But asking great <laughs> questions, the reason it's so much – it is enjoyable is because you're not uh, – you're, it, it, you're literally just – just trying to learn, and your ego, it's always there, but it's not so dominant in your approach to life. It can't be coexist with asking great questions. So it's a gift to learn how to do that for sure. And it's, it, by the way, I have a, a long list of probably like 100 questions that I've written down over the years from um, 
either interviewing people, listening to people get interviewed, or when I was interviewed. And finding a really good question is actually hard, you know. Oh, 100%. When you come across, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, so as far as let's, so let's let's flip, and I love this. This is wonderful. You're exactly spot on with how I. Yeah, I'm not surprised there's so many parallels between coaching high performance, you know, salespeople or business people than there is athletes. I did find it fascinating what you said though, and I'm going to drill down on this because I think it, I want to make sure I heard it correctly, frankly. So it's for my own information. So when you're you're saying the way you're building confidence amongst the special forces guys, for example, is if if maybe not confident, maybe that's not the word you you would have used, but okay. you're yeah. trying to make them mentally stronger. Let's say, is you're showing them that they can actually do more physically, and by putting them under pressure of a short period of time, it then will then they'll obviously become more confident when they're downrange, as you said. Is that what you said? Yeah, I mean for these guys, and I can't emphasize this enough because it's what makes them special, clarity comes from chaos. These are people that are the ultimate in adaptability. And so they don't want things laid out. They, Tim, even if you laid out like how to be the perfect seal or how to be the perfect range, you know, whatever these things are, like they wouldn't want it because that's not, gonna, that's not how warfare works. And that's really not how the world or economics works, right? Like everybody uh, thinks that they can predict things. How, how you and I both feel about this whole positivity pseudoscience movement is how I also feel about people that claim they can predict things. You know, when things are complex, such as the interactions between people or the stock market or, you know, anything of a sort, you're not predicting those things. You have to adapt to them. You know, you can have hunches and intuition, and that's a whole other conversation, but you did hear me correctly. The military, the special forces community, they value the chaos. They value the opportunity to have to change and adapt and do things on the fly because that always leads to a better after-action review. No different than if I don't necessarily jive with an athlete or a client, just like if somebody that you guys might be working with, right, maybe they don't, uh, you know, an agent doesn't really get off to uh, a great uh, sense of rapport early on. You've got to go back and say, where did I miss, right? Where, where did I not listen closely enough? Where did I maybe not understand their needs and their values? Um, you know, you, you've always got to reflect. And these guys find that chaos is the ultimate opportunity for reflection. Did that answer your question more appropriately? It did, and actually it made me think of another question because it's fascinating. So my wife's a professional musician. I know you don't know that. She's played in orchestras and whatnot, and, and we've used Amazing. her as examples on this podcast many times because she was a natural musician. She learned how to play, but she also had teachers allowed her to get away with hacks. And then when she finally, as an adult, she ended up hiring this, like, you know, piano, piano just God, she was basically having to go back and unravel all the hacks that she'd been permitted to have because the teachers just didn't have the, I don't know, maybe experience, maybe they didn't give a shit, I don't know, they just didn't actually make her do it the right way. And so what I'm hearing you say, it's, you know, when I think of the SEALs and whatnot, and fortunately I've known there's just a handful of these guys back when we lived in Texas, they were regimented, and I, they always invited me, a couple of them invited me to go working out with them, which I would never do because I know they would have fun <laughs> tormenting me. Um, but, I mean, they, I got to know some of them. But you're right. They did have this, this – um, in order for them to feel confident and comfortable improvising, and, again, correct me if I'm wrong, they had to have had the basics drilled down and had to have the fundamentals so easily understood, you know, had to become intuitive. And that was the reason I brought Julie into the conversation because she didn't, and she was never that confident uh, with playing the piano until she went back and fixed her hack. So before you can have that confidence of being able to think uh, you know, in action, uh, don't you have to have the basics pretty much mastered? Without a doubt. I mean, listen, it, it, right, the consistency is how drops of rain become a deluge, right? And that's what's hard about, like, that's why I said the simple things savagely well is we, we always have this desire to specialize and we've got to, again, do this and do that. Well, you know, early on, mastering the basics comes to, you know, you've got to attempt a wide range of things. You've got to screw up in a lot of different scenarios because to interact is to uh, have an element of improv. And so it's tricky because you do have to specialize in the basics, but within that basics, you have this long and wide foundation of skills depending on what you're doing. So, for example, let me put it in context, and then we'll put it in context for other things as well. With athletes, the basics for let's we we talked about NFL. That's not just sprinting mechanics. That's also how they decelerate. That's not just how they jump. That's how they land. I mean, if you were to come watch Tim, you or any of your listeners 
were to come watch the first three weeks of off-season training in the NFL, you would be bored to death because it's reteaching these guys the fundamentals that we've got to hammer home every year because that sets up such a strong foundation to build, you know, a, a more resilient base of skills. No different than architecture, right? Let's put it in context of that. Can you imagine a house or a building that, you know, no matter how beautiful it is, no matter who created it, even if it's Howard Rourke from the Fountainhead, if that's got a crap foundation, sorry, I almost cussed, if that's got a crap foundation, no other part of the house is going to matter. And so you've got to establish that foundation. But that's so hard, Tim, for the point that you mentioned. The most glaringly evident things are the things we spend the least amount of time on because they seem to be too easy, too obvious. We'd rather have the eye candy than the soul food. I've actually – I've wondered – and Julie and I have talked about this endlessly, this very – this thing we're talking about. Why is it that some people refuse to ever master the basics? And our business is full of, of just – you know, there's so many people out there that really don't have the basics of sales skills mastered. And, you know, not to talk about mindset and whatnot, but I've, oft, I've often wondered whether or not it was a, a, almost like a subconscious lever they put in place to always fall back on as their excuse to fail. So had I had a better understanding of this or that, the other thing, had I not skipped that, then I would have been able to excel at this or I would have been able to go to the next level. Because logically it doesn't make sense. If you – in real estate, um, especially if they'd come into business in the last, like, 10 years – these guys have not been told the truth about what it takes to be successful long-term. They've been literally lied to. They're buying all their leads. They're thinking they need to form these teams of basically a bunch of ill-trained people, even before they actually know how to compete for a listing. A vast majority of the real estate agents out there have never actually been in a competitive uh, environment. They've always, you know, they've been riding this wave of the upward seller's market where if they just price it relatively well, uh, you know, and and put it in the MLS, it's going to sell itself. Now, that pisses agents off when I say it, but it it pisses the agents off who've never sold in a buyer's market, a market that goes the opposite direction. They've never actually been in combat, which is where the market's yep. going now. It's actually going, these agents are going to be very soon forward deployed, and they're going to be in hostile territory with sellers who are pissed off their houses are worth less than they paid for them, and all the rest of this. And then they're going to discover that they never actually learned the skills. So you have to run into that in your, in your realm, too. When you have somebody that will not listen and will not go back and master the basics, is that person even savable? What do you do with somebody like that? Yeah, it's a great point. In our field, you know, to draw a parallel deals with that in terms of you have coaches that or pseudo, people that call themselves coaches that really <laughs> haven't put in the time, right? They get, they get on Instagram because they know athletes and, and all these populations live on Instagram. And they've mastered these visuals, right, where they've got these hype videos where guys are training in the sand and Drake's music is in the background or something else. And it looks like a movie trailer. And really, this is some kid in Malibu that knows somebody that has a camera, and they're tricking these people into a market that doesn't exist, right? They're not teaching them anything ethical. These athletes are underprepared, and guys end up losing millions of dollars because they go train with some fluff trainer that now all of a sudden they've, put, they've torn their Achilles or they pulled a hamstring because their body wasn't prepared the right way. They don't understand the market because these trainers are trying to get in for the quick fix, the quick buck. They don't want to go through things the right way. Now you ask the question of are, are these athletes stable? And this is a point of contention in my field. There are some people that are like, listen, I'm not going to try to convert the unconverted. If people are going to, if some of these athletes are going to go, you know, with these trainers and these people that aren't even legitimized and, and credentialed, then screw them. They can learn the hard way. You know, I'm of the belief that there's a little bit of that, but I also think you've got to communicate with people in the medium that they understand. So for example, Tim, most people in my profession do not like social media. They won't get on it. They won't touch it. They say, I'm too busy, you know, whatever. I've realized that, you know what, it's kind of a necessary evil. If I can kind of get inside the athlete's head and show them a little bit of what they want, only to pull them in and be able to provide really what they need, you know, some people would say, well, that's manipulative. And I would say, is it though? If I'm trying to help them get a proven end result, something that the science backs, I'm trying to keep them from these charlatans, you know, all. I have no problem speaking in, in, in their ear to get their attention and then saying, hey, guys, this is what really matters. And then by the time I have one or two days with them, they know the difference. So I do think you got to try. I think where it comes down to it, though, Tim, is like 
time is the ultimate, uh, you know, truth teller. If, if you feel like you've always got to go back to the well to convince somebody, you've always got to rein them back in, no. At a certain point, they've got to taste their own blood uh, because, they're, you know, people don't learn through information alone. If that was the case, nobody would have smoked in the 90s. Remember all the anti-smoking campaigns that failed miserably? People learn through experiences, not just by you providing them with information. So I think what you're saying is spot on. Sometimes you got to let these people learn the hard way and then they'll come back and then they're really ready to be coached and be led and have a more fruitful future. It goes back to that doing what you don't want to do and you don't want to do at the highest level. If you find yourself listeners and everyone has this tendency, it's not, there's nothing defective in you, but everyone naturally, it's almost like our brains are designed to look for the easy button. But if you find yourself perpetually attracted to the easy button, you're probably doing some things wrong. Um, and yep. that, you know, that's, that's just the thing. And I'll tell you, it's fascinating too. If you, if you are, if you appreciate the fact that everything is on the other side of doing what you don't want to do and you don't want to do it at the, at the highest level, and it does not matter what it is, personal relationships, making money, saving money, becoming a millionaire, whatever it is that you're hoping to accomplish, knowing that everyone else is going to be attracted to the, the, you know, all the bullshit on the, you know, the easy button people. I mean, Brett, there's people in our industry that call themselves real estate coaches who've never sold real estate before. Can you imagine that? <laughs> I mean, it's, we have the it's same right. thing. It, I don't get it. I just don't understand. But here's the thing. I think agents know it, but they just like how that other person makes them feel because they're not telling them the truth that it's about doing what they don't want to do and they don't want to do at the highest level. They're just basically manipulating them, and manipulation is not a bad word, by the way, manipulating them for the sake of basically their their own uh, pocket lining. But uh, we don't need to go down that. I could could tell we're on the same page. You and I could write a book on that one, brother. I'm with you on that. I know, it's, it, but it is, it is shocking to me. And if you know that, for example, you're considering hiring someone to be your personal trainer and they're fat and out of shape and they smoke cigarettes and you can, their water bottle's full of scotch, or if you want to talk, you know, <laughs> hire someone to be your sales trainer for real estate and they've never sold real estate before, but they make you feel good, they're manipulating you by your, through your mindset, you pretty much have got to own the fact that you are absolutely trying to avoid the real work of life. All right, so um, I'm going to tell a real quick condensed story, and then that way I'll tee you up to talk about tea. <laughs> How about that? Sure. So yeah. it, it was about – now this is – I don't really – my days blend when it comes to coaching, but probably five or six years ago, some of our coaching clients we've been blessed by, as you have, for, to have them you know, in your lives for just you know, decades, forever it seems. Well, there was one in particular that I had coached and Julie also had coached who we started coaching when he was like in his early or mid-30s. And I had this memory of him being a certain – now, sometimes we don't physically see our coaching clients. Sometimes it can go years before we'll see them. Some of them we've coached for years, and we've never actually met. It's always been over the phone or Internet or whatever, you know, through video conferencing. But the reality of it is is that in this one in particular, we'd had in our lives for a long time. And, you, you know, we met him when he had uh, got married, and then he had his children. And, but we keep notes. And so we have all these notes of these people that go back – you know, it's our personal clients, of which Julie and I are – we don't have very we have are very highly selective who our personal clients are. We have a generalized coaching program called Premier, which you know is a good fit for a vast majority of people. But when people want to level up, they you know request to be one of our personal coaching clients. So this one in particular, we are I was able to you know essentially okay this guy's slowing down. He's not performing. He doesn't seem to be embracing and enjoying life. And I talked to him about it, and I you know just all the normal things. And I didn't know jack about uh, hormones, nothing. And so this guy, then, uh, then I noticed it was over like maybe a 90, 120-day period. I remember this because it was a learning lesson reminding me how much I have yet to learn to be a really great coach, which was humbling. So he then starts coming to the calls again, bouncing off the walls, well, I mean by comparison, moving the needle, telling me how he's losing weight, um, just everything obviously was in a different, you know, seemingly going in a different, more positive direction than the way it had been going. And um, he finally told me, he said, Tim, I went and had my, you know, my testosterone level checked. And he told me, I don't know, again, I didn't know anything about it. And then he told me about it, how it's, you know, he's been going through his testosterone replacement therapy and gone to a doctor and all the rest of it. And how he told me a little bit about it. And my initial reaction was, you know, ego. Oh my gosh, what are you talking to me about? Testosterone, what are you taking testosterone for? And so then I started doing some research, and then we had other clients, men, that were all sort of in that same 40s to 50s age bracket who had had, you know, maybe they too had issues with that. So I suggested that they go have their testosterone checked. 
and Julie and I have probably 30 personal clients, and I would say, if I remember correctly, all but maybe one or two ended up basically having um, you know, blood work done, discovering that you know, their, their testosterone level is high, their estrogen levels are, their testosterone is low, estrogen was high, and they had all these sort of easily remedied things through you know, an FDA-approved approach. Um, and then just like dominoes, these guys all started sort of rekindling their, their spirits. They were like the men that we'd remembered from before. And again, I, I'm not trying to sell anything. We're not in the testosterone business. I don't know anything about it compared to what he, what Brett does, but all I'm suggesting, and, and we talked about this on a podcast and I asked the listeners if they wanted to talk about testosterone, which fortunately led me to have you on the show. So and since I've done tons of research, now Julie and I were researching this topic for a book we're working on. Um, I've gotten to know a lot of people. I've listened to a ton of things. You and I talked about that on the beach. You know, we can, I consumed all this information. And, and now, even then, I don't feel comfortable saying every man should have his blood checked for the sake of having, unless you're a personal client. You know, on the podcast, I still don't feel comfortable talking about that. But I realize it's probably my ego that doesn't want me to talk about it overtly to the masses. But at the same time, I think there's also a huge need for men to at least consider the fact that this is something that they can do something about. And once you start getting your hormones in balance, um, you know, your life can, it, you'll literally change how you, your moods will change, your, your sexual function will change, your, uh, your ability to achieve things will change, your clarity of thinking will change. So, again, you know, I'm a sales trainer, so it sounds like I'm trying to sell it. But you started <laughs> telling me things about how different things can affect the testosterone level. But, I mean, if, if I said anything that you're not, not in alignment with, please feel free to correct me because you're the expert, not me. <laughs> No, you're fine. And I want to make this as practical for the listeners as possible, right? This is a huge topic. So I don't want to dominate the airways. I'm just going to kind of frame some things up. And then, you know, I, I want to dive in more and, and, and I'll answer anything that you think your listeners will find interesting. Now, why do you, and you did a great job of this, it shows kind of your ethics off the bat, you know, neither of us are doctors, right? So nothing either of us says should be taken as a diagnosis, a prescription, or, or somebody saying, hey, go do this this is a topic we're going to discuss, right? Like I'm, I am not a medical doctor, but when it comes to testosterone, right? And just to give everybody context, because I don't want to assume that everybody's read up on this, testosterone is obviously a hormone. Now it exists in both men and women. Now women have a tenth of the testosterone that males do. And it influences everything. And you talked about this, Tim, like from sex drive, regulates sperm production, promotes muscle mass, increases energy, and it influences human behavior, right? Now, Here's the thing to give all the listeners context into what we were talking about. The issue is, is when people start talking about normal or average testosterone levels, that can be really deceiving. Uh, a lot of times what you'll read, and according to recent guidelines, they'll say that a testosterone level of at least 300 nanograms per deciliter, that's just nerd speak, but that's the common unit of measurement, is normal for a man. Now, the reason I say you have to be careful about normal is because what a lot of these lay articles won't talk about, but we had to study in depth in, in school and, and beyond, is that, you know, some people could have lower than 300 nanograms of deciliter, again, nerd speak, but they may have more androgen receptors. Now, all that means is think of an androgen receptor almost like, uh, you know, an outlet, right? Like where uh, it's something that allows the transmission of electrical activity in the outlet state to take place to an appliance, right? So it, it, it governs dose response, how much of something you need. So, Tim, some people could have more androgen receptors and thus not need as high of natural levels of free-flowing testosterone because the little or the level that they have could be more potent, right? They have these more activators within their physiology. So there are some people that can have less, and these are perfectly healthy functioning people that do have less than these quote-unquote normal ranges that are completely fine, all right? So I don't want anybody getting their testosterone checked and thinking, my God, it's, not below, it's below 300, juice me up. That is not a good way to look at it. Um, you also have to look at your family history, right? Because testosterone replacement is often prescribed for people that have what, what is called the subtherapeutic levels, which they may or may not be experiencing other symptoms. And that's what you've got to look at. And this goes into what you talked about with the real estate market or economics. Imagine, Tim, if you just looked at one variable and then you made all these gross generalizations of where the market's going to go the next four years based on one number. 
you would be screwed because we know there's so many other things that interact with these markets. It's the same thing here. If somebody doesn't understand kind of where they are cardiovascularly or their cancer risk or lifestyle, I mean, Tim, my wife works in that field, uh, testosterone replacement therapy, and there are people who do the exact thing that you said early on. They look at the easy way. They don't do the things they should do, meaning they don't change their lifestyle first. There is tremendous supporting evidence and has been for decades that show if you just lift weights, if you would lift weights and the way that you lift weights and the way that you eat and what you take in, you can increase your natural testosterone production and growth hormone production in, in, in a very, very, very significant way. I mean, there's great research, and I can share it with you if you want on the back. Oh, you told me about that. that you, you told me that was, that was interesting, but it's probably too nerdy for the show. But the essence of it is, guys, you should use this as breadcrumbs to do your own, your own research on this with what he's saying. Um, I mean, you, you're tell, you and I were talking about dead, uh, deadlifting and how that's using more muscles in your body and how that obviously will have more of a positive impact on your body's hormonal balance and creation of its own, you know, stuff. So, yeah, but, I mean, for the sake of our podcast, though I wouldn't mind talking about sure. that with you again because I thought it was very interesting, but for the sake of the show, they probably would stop listening. So, but, Right, so, but there's but, three points I want to make just so it's practical. Please. Lifestyle first. Make sure you tr weight train, make sure you're addressing your eating, make sure you're looking at other factors before you jump right in to T replacement. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you're not going to change how you're eating and what you're exercising, you're not even really going to get the benefits of it. But if you, co if you combine, um, and I, <laughs> I dare I say, a, sort of a low-carb, you know, high-protein type diet with actually working out and going, you know, doing the things that you're supposed to be doing, you're probably going to find that the testosterone is going to have more of a positive impact. So the next steps for a lot of these guys who are interested in having this done would just be so you mentioned this too it's worth mentioning there's people that specialize in you mentioned your wife there's uh, there's a whole an industry that's and this is all legal this is all fda approved yeah um and uh there's different very there's different uh, ways to take the testosterone do all that homework on your own if you guys want more information on this i'll have brett back and we could talk about this more i have a feeling that's what's going to happen um but you can go to a testosterone replacement uh, clinic be careful who you go to for advice about this. This is something I've learned through my clients because a lot of the general practitioners and whatnot, I was talking with one the other day about this very subject, and he didn't really know anything about it. And I actually sent him yeah. some information and some links and some things to read, and he was a flipping doctor. you know. And I, I'm not going to say I knew more than him, but I, I, certainly not from the physiology perspective, but from the sort of how it all kind of works and the numbers you're supposed to watch, I definitely knew more than he did. Um, so this is something that I'll suggest strongly. Again, he, you know, he's, we we're not physicians, but go and have your blood work done. Go and have – you can go to um, – you know, if you're in Texas, there's, there's many different big companies that are doing this now. And have your blood work done. Look at all your different levels. Have somebody who specializes in this, not necessarily your GP, someone that specializes in this, uh, read the results to you. And you might find – you know, just getting into the weeds just ever so slightly, men in their – you mentioned this is – I think it was really cool that you said this. And I'll share something personal. So I remember my dad very specifically when he reached a certain age. Um, I remember he started to actually physically get depressed. He actually, you know, started to develop um, – he wasn't at all – he just completely became an introvert. Didn't – I mean, just a, a reversal of the person that I remember. And I, I wonder now, you know, he's passed away, but I wonder now how much of that was actually from maybe something he could have addressed through testosterone replacement therapy or those types of things. Because I've seen the impact it's had on some of my own, my friends and coaching clients and things like that. And I, I just wonder if all of you guys were just to consider going having your blood work checked. It's not very expensive. You go to a, a tea clinic, they usually will charge you 50 bucks, and then have them, read the, have them read the results to you. Don't be surprised if they all tell you you need to be on testosterone replacement therapy because that is the business they're in. So take some responsibility for your own health care and go do some further research on it and make decisions for yourself. Um, but what are the typical benefits of someone who has low T uh, that when they start taking testosterone replacement therapy? I just kind of glazed over the top surfaces. What are the other types of benefits that someone might experience? A man yeah, in particular. I mean, this, oh, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Well, let's talk about the number one thing that will impact 
your agent's business focus, right? Let's look yeah. right off because of, everybody talks about the muscle mass and the energy and whatever. Let's talk about focus, right? Focus is like better regulation of your mood state. And so those are the things that I think most people think about how big of a topic mental illness is right now, right? And like all these things, yeah, like everybody claims they have ADHD and all these things. So aside from the, the, the sex drives, firm production, muscle mass, increased energy, focus, um, and, and people tend to think, Tim, that it makes you more aggressive. That's not true. That's true if people get unregulated stuff and they're doing things completely incorrectly, as, as you mentioned, right? But um, I, I would say focus, energy, and all those things are, are, are the biggest piece. And for many of them that are experiencing true symptoms of truly low T as medically defined, they're, you know, that's going to keep them from making lifestyle changes because they're just they're going to feel like crap all the time. And then it's harder to overcome those barriers. So those are the primary things that are going to make it a little bit more difficult. I know personally, I was going through cycles because I've been on uh, testosterone replacement therapy for two years, but I had been going through and, and nobody who knows me and Julie even took the survey and we we're, you know, doing a little self-diagnostics before I had the blood test done, as, as most people do. But no one who would knew, knows me or none of my coaching clients would have ever guessed that I was low T. And, and what happened was is I had developed hacks to compensate for it, you know, different things I do to keep myself at a higher energy state that were, was essentially just trying to compensate for that. You and I talked a little bit about some of that, the type of stuff that some of the military guys have, have uh, drawn accustomed to. Because military guys, I think we should talk about this because we're – I think morally obligated to at this point, uh, there's been research that's done that people who have experienced even mild concussions, you and I talked about this on the beach, they can have actually, I believe, Brett, correct me here, I'm the dumb real estate coach, you're the smart physiology guy, but they can have their pituitary gland potentially damaged from even a mild concussion and that could cause their testosterone hormonal, uh, their bodies, uh, create, it, it won't create the hormones necessary that, to make a man feel like a man. Am, am I hitting the nail on the head with this? Well, any kind of trauma, for sure, to the head and, and the body in general, gross trauma can make that. Now, I'm unfamiliar with the direct correlations between concussions and testosterone, and I never want to speak out of practice. But when sure. you're looking at gross trauma to anything that's going to influence uh, you know, the psychological aspect and physiological aspect of the body, for sure, there's inherent chances that things can be thrown out of whack. And that's why they have to have regular visits and get regular blood work so they have that data and understand the changes. You know, it's interesting you know, for females. No, no, for females, there is nothing like. There's no. You know, men can go and have testosterone injections done, or you know, but there's nothing that's equivalent to that for females. They're much more complicated. Of course, we all knew that, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you it, touched on it. This, uh, a good point, though, Tim, that you touched on uh, in on the beach as well was, you know, a lot of these people and agents can be guilty of this. Coaches, athletes, but military especially because you talked about compensating, right? Some people that will compensate mm. for how they feel without, like they, they start to abuse stimulants, whether it's another shot of espresso or energy drinks or something else. And then that can further just increase adrenal stress, which impacts testosterone more negatively. So people will unwittingly, they'll be like, I don't know. I just feel tired or I don't feel focused. But dude, that's so interesting. And, and I, that, Dude, we got drilled on that. And I don't care if they're bored because this is really fascinating. So uh, listeners, listen to what he just said, because everyone I know is in the caffeine abuser. M maybe I'm up there in the upper 1% of caffeine abusers, and I'm weaning myself off. But the reality of it is, is when you do take those external stimulants, he, what he's trying to say, if I'm understanding correctly, is it actually minimize it, it makes your problem worse so that you even need, need more of the external stimulants to get to that you know, heightened state that you're hoping to get at, whereas the reality was is you have a most likely a hormonal imbalance that could be create, uh, corrected therapeutically. Did I say it correctly? A hundred percent. When they're abusing that, like at acute levels of small doses, right, normal coffee drinker, you can actually have benefits and things like that with, with testosterone. But if you're, if you're abusing all this stuff because you need more and more and more, then it just increases your stress hormones in the body. And that's exactly what you don't want to happen. Like imagine that Tim, too much of a good thing can be bad for you. Right. Like, and that's where people have to, are, are, we're just a nation of addicts at this point, And we've got to be realistic about these things. So I'm going to ask you a question. This is something I think I'll be very fascinated to know your response on. Um, humans, men, women, humans, you know what we are. We seem to have this never-satisfied um, 
approach. And I've talked with Julie and I talk about this or talk on this on our podcast and our books. It's almost like all of us have this innate sort of lizard brain hardwired software that forces us always to be moving forward. And the problems and the stress in our lives seem to come from when we ignore that innate design. Um, I'm not trying to be spiritual because I really don't know how to verbalize it any better than I did. But I have noticed that sometimes what happens is that creates a high level of dissatisfaction with life in general because there's no way of curbing the never satisfied want to go to the next level. Um, any thoughts on that? In terms of this kind of sickness for more where we always feel like we need something but else, something else, is that I want to make sure I understand what you're asking. At, at, your heart, at your heart, dude, you're a high-performance coach. That's what you are. And your job is to get the most out of people, which means they cannot be satisfied. And your job is to sniff out and destroy complacency of any level at any time as it, as it you know presents itself. Um, I think that's what I, I think I just you can use that if you choose to. And so when you come across somebody who can they take it too far? Can they push themselves to the extent where they're just never satisfied, never happy, always wanting to go to the next level, don't even want to stop for a second to appreciate the view? Do you run across that with some of these folks that you work with? Sure, Tim. That was me. I, I mean, that was a big reason I wrote my book. I was hospitalized for a year of my life because I pushed myself to the exact, like the absolute extremes of, uh, you know, physical training and, and, and all these things. I was obsessive. And so that's a big reason why these people come to me is, you know, it goes back to everything we talked about. Getting somebody's trust isn't a trick. It's a matter of helping them overcome their own fears, feelings, and, and all these things. And that only comes through, I always say, talent needs trauma. And a lot of these guys have gone to the, you don't get to be a professional athlete or a high performer, less than 1% of the world's population without doing things to some level of extremes, right? Like you're looking at grown men colliding at over 20 miles an hour, some of them weighing 200 to 300 pounds. Like that takes extreme training principles for them to be able to, like, weather that um you know and then some of them are, are crazy about everything else they do but the issue is like you said if they don't stop if they don't reflect and it's not a spiritual thing right it's just taking notes then it's very hard to reproduce success isn't it right if somebody doesn't take a moment to say what's worked and uh, what are people responding to how do you ever recreate that recipe and that's what you've got to get them to do stop what worked Stop what didn't work, how are you evaluating it? Now let's try to recreate it. So without a doubt, that, that's something I inherently run into a lot and have experienced personally. So is that 1% thing that, or whatever it is, however you want to frame it, of the people that really truly excel, is it because they spend less time celebrating their victories and enjoying the view and move, moving to the next level, or is it, or is it something else? Well, there's a dichotomy. The ones that do it over the long term, the people that continue to be successful for decades, look at it as like seasons, right? There's certain times of year where it's push, 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 push. And then there's other times of year where they know how to kind of sit and wait, right? It's chess, not checkers. Now, the ones that get out and make these quick millions and all this kind of stuff right out the gate, but don't last, they're the ones that don't understand this inevitable push-pull type scenario, so it depends what you want to be. You and I both know there's coaches, athletes, or agents out there that they don't really give a shit about the long term. They want short term, and in their mind, they're going to be extremes and go, 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 and they're going to burn themselves out. But if you want to have sustainable success in doing these things, then you're going to have to look at it as seasons and say, all right, there's times a year where I'm going to do all these things. There's times a year where I got to pull back a little bit, listen to the market, listen to my audience, listen to my body, and then be able to navigate it from there. That's awesome, man. I really appreciate it. Boy, I knew this was going to rock. I hope the listeners enjoyed it. If they did, I don't really care. I had fun. <laughs> yeah, no, me too, man. You, you ask great questions, and all these things are deeply relatable, and I think, I think, I think everybody's going to appreciate this. I, I think there's not very many people that don't relate to extremes and health and all that, and if they do now, if they don't relate to it, they will at some point in their life, right? We're not talking about anything that nobody's going to experience. So I appreciate your time and, and all the great questions. So if they wanted to connect with you, there's a high probability that there'll be a lot that this, you know, podcast, you have your own podcast, or you are starting one or you have one. Remind me. No, we have one. Yep. We've, we've been doing one. We've had it for a while and it's uh yeah, absolutely. Okay. So if they wanted to connect with you, if they wanted to maybe have you speak on their podcast, any, uh, I always suggest, and this is completely up to you that you give your cell phone number because then there's zero chance of things getting lost and then suggest that they 
only text you and not call you, but you can decide however you want them communicating with you. If you would like to have them communicate with you at all, that is, <laughs> how might they do so? Yeah, very easy. I'll give them two options. The most easy and direct and seamless to find everything is artofcoaching.com. That's a very straightforward one that's going to have a link to my podcast, my YouTube, all of our coaching seminars, all the work we do with businesses, all those things. Um, the phone number, best number they can reach me at is 402-208-8530. So artofcoaching.com or that phone number, always happy to connect and chat more. Right. And do you want them texting you, calling you, or you don't care? Yeah, we're going to do text just because I'm out of the country a good bit for work. Yeah, so, man. you know, I, I shoot me a text and, and oftentimes it'll take me 24 to 48 hours to respond. So I'm not ignoring you. Just tell me who you are, how you found out about me. Give me the context. And that way we'll be able to have a, a great discussion. So artofcoaching.com, the text, the phone number, or but you can find my book, Conscious Coaching on Amazon. All that's pretty straightforward. So brokers, brands, teams, anyone in between, if you're thinking about having somebody speak to your groups, I know this is the time of year where people start thinking about that. I would absolutely connect with this guy. He's obviously not your typical you know, real estate industry fluff monger. He's not just going to tell you all the touchy-feely stuff. He's going to tell you the truth. But guys, in a changing market, in a changing industry, agents need to know the truth. Brokers need to know the truth. This is the type of person you guys need to align yourselves with. Hey, Brett, man, I really appreciate it. And, man, it was so weird that I met you. <laughs> it was that's wonderful. That's and you need to work out Rico. Rico. <laughs> I'll get on my wife. We'll move to Puerto Rico soon. I appreciate you. Give my best to Julie and best of luck the rest of the year with everything. And, guys, I can't wait to connect. God bless, everyone. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, Brett. All right. Take care. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris.